0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'm going to do just a little skipping around there. In this particular uh, chapter, I'm going to start with verse 1 though uh, for starts. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years, skipping down to verse 6. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. It came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. That the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and dragged them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed. My voice, skipping down to verse twelve. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, speaking of Gideon, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, and why why then is all this befallen us? And where be all those miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us. And delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. For a little while, and if you'll just go with me on a little journey here tonight, for a little while, I want to minister to you in question form tonight. What's wrong with God? What's wrong with God? Amen. might seem to see he's still caught in yesterday. He's got problems here. He's titling something, What's Wrong With God? But please bear with me tonight as I, uh, as I, try to present to you this amen this evening god i come to you tonight i pray oh lord god that you would mark every bit of error, lord god from my mind and my lips i pray oh lord to be able to share the word of the lord God, the way that I feel as though it's been conveyed to me, Lord, over this past week. I pray, oh God, strengthen and minister, Lord, each and every heart, each and every soul. Help us, God, to take the task, Lord, the word this evening. Help it, Lord, to convict. Help it, Lord, to challenge. And help it, Lord, to enlighten. I pray, oh Lord, God, our individual lives. Lord, we'll not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you do through and by. God, your word, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. What's wrong with you? Just look at your neighbor and ask them that question. What's wrong with God? What's wrong with God? The story of the book of Judges, that is where our text is found here tonight. But the story of the book of Judges, in reality, is the story of the nation of Israel overall. For that matter, it is my story. It is your story. As an outsider, we are in a little bit of disbelief that the nation of Israel could walk away from God and by all things serve other gods and then cry out to the Lord in their moment of trouble as we see that this seems to be the cyclical pattern that's found in the book of Judges for that matter in the entire Bible for that matter for us as well. Right. This this idea of walking away or might we call it even just growing cold sometimes on the Lord and then crying out to the Lord in our moment of trouble because the cycle wasn't confined again to the book of Judges. This cycle had been repeated since the very beginning uh, back in the Garden of Eden. This this had went on even after Israel was delivered uh, from the hands of the Egyptians and they saw and got deliverance there. This cycle even began then. It continues through the book of Judges and we find it uh, in the time of the kings. We find it even in the pages of both the minor and the major prophets and it carries on into the New Testament. It surfaces in the epistles as well. The silical pattern of people drawn away from God, meeting trouble, crying out to God. It's over and over. Even in the book of Revelation in those first few chapters where John is writing to the seven churches of the book of Revelation we see it surfacing even within those churches the same thing but before we can be too critical of their actions of this cycle pattern that has happened seemingly from Adam and Eve forward before we can be too critical with their actions we must consider our own actions because we have our own rendition of this cycle in our generation. The generation that was before me, I dare to say it will happen even in the generation that will come. And the cycle again in Judges was on this fashion, walk away from God, serve other gods, face trouble, and then cry out to God because of the trouble, and then gain deliverance from the Lord in some measure, usually by a deliverer or a judge as it would seem, and then do well for a time until you walk away from God again. And so we know that pattern. We see it over and over again in the book of Judges. And often I've equated as, as a man in ministry now for 30 years, I equated all times that whenever Israel cried out to God, that their cry out to God was a mode of repentance. And I've even said sometimes myself concerning the cycle that the children of Israel would cry out to God and that they would repent. But as I've gotten older, I realized this. That not every cry to God during trouble is repentance. Many times it's simply a cry for deliverance. There's sometimes people cry to God not because they want to repent over what they've done. They just don't like where they're at. And so they just want delivered without any amends made for what's been done. And so as I understand that I even read in the book of Jeremiah and I got some different I got the different versions up there tonight but then I don't know what they have if it was available but in Jeremiah 227 God said even in the book of Jeremiah he said they have turned their backs to me and not their faces yet when they are in trouble he said they say come and save us in other words he's saying they turned their back to me they turned away from me But whenever they're in trouble, they cry out to me. They don't have a time of day for me right now. But if problems surface in their life, they know who I am. They cry out to me for what? It doesn't say for repentance, they just need somebody to come down and save them. I think I probably said this more than once in my life, the mystery, and that is this, is that these people at certain times, and even us at certain times, they want delivered from their trouble without being delivered from their sin. Yeah, right. God help me. They, they want to sin without consequences. They want to violate the law of God without justice being served to the law. Breaker. In reality, sometimes people are looking for a savior, but they don't want to have anything to do with him being master throughout the book of Isaiah if you ever read the book of Isaiah you see Isaiah constantly putting together these two aspects of our God his lordship and his if I could call it savership both his lord attribute and his savior attribute replete within the book of Isaiah is this meshing together these two aspects of our God the Bible says in Isaiah 43 and verse 11 I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no savior in other words god is saying through the prophet isaiah god is saying i am lord and god also says and there is no savior beside me and so what that tells me just through deduction of those two statements is this our lord our master is also our savior in other words, what I understand is this, is that God may ask some things of me in his role, his role of being Lord in my life, in master in my life, but I can bear that because whatever he's asking of me in his Lord aspect, it's probably the outworking of a Savior aspect as well it's not an either or with God. He is both Lord and Savior. And so if he's asking something of me, it's deeply tied probably also to him saving me. What I'm saying is this, his request may have some salvation issues in what he asked of me or the very thing he may ask of me may help me keep saved. Amen. And so Isaiah 49 and verse 26 God says this. There's a phrase there and it's found more than once just here in Isaiah. All flesh shall know that I am the Lord and thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. When we tiptoe over into the New Testament Scripture, we see these same things spoken of Christ Jesus. God manifests in the flesh. The Bible tells us in Luke 2 and verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, which is Christ the, the Lord. Amen. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.20 states these words. Peter's writing. He says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning in other words peter says they escaped they escaped initially the pollutions of the world through the knowledge which is the, the experiential knowledge they've experienced this the knowledge of Jesus Christ but more plainly the experiential knowledge of his lordship and his saving power qualities amen And so since they escaped the pollutions by that, then I need both of those aspects to be a part of Paul McGee's life. Israel needed him to be Lord and Master. They needed him to be both. And so while we can't believe that Israel could walk or would walk away from God, there's others that may be shaking their heads in our generations over some of the games that we play with God. Is everybody doing okay? Because the same cycle continues in Jeremiah's era. God asked, he says in Jeremiah 2 and 5, and I actually used this verse this morning, but this is in the NIV. He says, this is God's question. This ain't my question. This is God's question. He asked, what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? You know what God was asking? What's wrong with me? He's asking a generation of people, a nation, people that he loved, people that he gave things to. He's asking them, what's wrong with me? Because when you think of the history of Israel and you begin to recount, they got deliverance from Egypt. They got safe crossing of a red sea. They got bitter waters that were made sweet. They had water that flowed from a rock. Manna fell from heaven. Quail they had to wade through in order to pick up. They had lands that they could claim simply by walking over them. There was darkness in Egypt, the Bible says, but while that was happening, there were lights on in Goshen. Their shoes and their clothes did not wear out. Amen, the curses that came against them. Amen, that came on Israel. If anybody tried to curse them, then that people or that person was cursed and so God wants to know based upon that history what's wrong with me? He says whenever we begin to recount what has been done and and, and what has been extended to you, then, then what's wrong with your God that you would stray from him? What's wrong with your God that you would turn your back to him and not your face to him? What's wrong with your God? What's the reason? What's the thing that you can point to that you would forget a God that fed you when you didn't have food to eat? What's wrong with your God? Because they would turn their back on God as though he didn't love them. They would flee so far from God that you would have thought that God was deadly to them. But God just wanted to know one thing. What fault do I have that drove you far away? I just want to know what is the reason behind you and our retreating. He's interested, if we will, Brother Mason, in the why that's supporting our wandering away from him. In our our, our text, verses 8 and 9, the prophet shows up to those Israelites that are under Midianite oppression, and it begins to recount some of the things of their God. He tells them, even when Israel cried unto the Lord due to the oppressiveness of the Midianites, God sent a prophet with these words to them and said, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the ha- the house of bondage. I brought you away from the hands of the Egyptians. I brought you, he even said, out of the hands of all them that oppressed you. I dispelled them and I gave you their land. In other words, God's saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with your God? In other words, God is trying to convey to a nation, even to us of our generation, if you're going to leave then at least give me the courtesy of why. Because when I look at the list of how I've went out to the extent for you and what I've done for you and when you were worthless and nothing and still came to you, I just want to know if you're gonna leave, give me a good reason why you're leaving. What's wrong with your God? Was I mean to you? Did I hurt you? Were my expectations too high for you? Did I betray you? Did I criticize you? Did I scare you? What fault did you find with your God? Let me ask a question. To my generation, what fault have we found with our God? Who Peter says in 1 Peter 2, who did no sin. Neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins, in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. What fault do you find with our God? What fault fault do you find, amen, with Christ? What fault do you find with our God? Whenever Peter, amen, at the trial of Jesus Christ was interrogating Jesus Christ before he was ever crucified, before he ever traveled the road to Calvary, he questioned him, Peter did. He questioned the Lord concerning his supposed convictions that were laid against him. But you'll notice, the only time Jesus opened his mouth, whenever there was a question about who he was, but all the other accusations that came against Jesus note well that he never says a word he never opens his mouth you know why because those same type of questions had been entertained for centuries without anybody being able to give a meaningful answer nobody could lay a finger The Bible says in Luke 23 and verse 14, this is Pilate. Pilate said unto them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverted. Speaking of Jesus, you brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, he's examined him as one that perverted the people because that's the way he was brought. He says, I have thoroughly examined him before you have found no fault. In this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. In other words, Pilate says, I treated him just like every other criminal. I treated him just like everybody else that was at fault. I thoroughly looked in his life. I thoroughly asked him questions. And I stand here as a governor. And I stand here as a judicial official. And I tell you, there's not one fault that's been found. In other words, all your accusations are invalid. There's nothing, amen, about him that supports your reasoning for desiring to crucify him or do away from him or walk away from him or shun him or not care about. So we don't have a leg to stand on. And so he tells the crowd, so go ahead and take him and crucify him. But I find no fault. Don't find a fault. You know what Pilate is saying in this moment? He's saying if you kill him, you do so without reason. If you eliminate him from your life, it's a causeless action. And no one in Jeremiah's day could give a legitimate answer. No one in Pilate's day could give a genuine answer. And none of us today could give a reasonable answer about what's wrong with God. Yet I pose to you tonight, how is it that we reject the one who is always attentive, always faithful, and always sufficient for us? I believe it's found in Judges 6. Because Gideon and Israel is under an oppressive hand of the Midianites at this point in time. The prophet has already been sent with the words of everything that God had done for them. And this is seemingly one of Gideon's answers toward the sufficiency of God. Toward, if you will, this is what he's leveraging toward what's wrong with his God. Gideon says this, and you can see it in verse number 13. He says, the Lord has forsaken us. In the new international version, it stated like this: "The Lord has abandoned us." Gideon begins even to ask. He said, "What? What? Why has all this happened to us?" I'm in a wine press threshing wheat right now. Why has all of this happened to us? Why? Why are we in this predicament? Why all of this oppression of the Midianites? He'll say, "I'll tell you why. Because the Lord." This is what's wrong with God. The Lord has forsaken us. He says, for that matter, where are all these miracles? Grandpappy and others before him spoke of all these miracles. I've yet to lay a finger or see with my eye any of these miracles. I tell you what's wrong with God. He has forsaken us. God has abandoned us. How's the earth all Gideon? I'll tell you. He left us. But Jeremiah 2, 13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fount of living waters, and hewed them out broken cisterns. Cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Listen to me carefully tonight. Because Gideon is like the people that are fretting over dry and their broken cisterns. As though it's God's fault. They're fretting over a dry broken cistern. As though it's God's fault. When in reality. They are the ones that left the fountain. Mm. But here's the fact of the matter. If you reject the fountain of living water. Somewhere along the way. You're going to deal with some dry and broken cisterns. Not because God abandoned you, but because you abandoned God. No, 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 you don't understand. If anybody ever gives any leverage that this is the fault with God, this is what God's problem is, this is what God's issue is, if anybody ever comes up with an answer, it's probably because they're trying to fault God with something they should be faulting themselves for. They're trying to project on God where they failed. They're trying to project on God where they messed up. They're trying to project on God. They say he walked away. They're projecting the fact that they were first the ones that walked away from God. The first evil of Jeremiah, number one, you abandon God. The second evil is believing you can have the same results without God. Said, you forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And then you hewed you out broken cisterns for water purposes. But they're dry and they're broken. And you don't have the same results without me. First evil, you abandoned him. Second evil, you think you would have the same thing without him. This is Paul McGee rendition. Third evil is blaming, is blaming. If you will, God, for our mess or what begins to lack, putting it on him rather than right What's wrong with your God? In Jeremiah, God said, this is Jeremiah 219 NIV. He says, your wickedness, look at this now. He says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me. You know what God's saying? He's saying, you're thinking that I abandoned you. You're thinking that, you know what? God ain't doing no miracle for me. You're thinking, well, how, why is this all befalling us? He says, I tell you what it is. Your own wickedness is punishing you. Your own backsliding is coming and rearing its head and rebuking you. He said, but that's what happens when you abandon your God. No, he didn't just say, when you forsake the Lord, he said, when you forsake the Lord, your God, our walking away from God will become a punishment and a scolding to us. Let me say it again. Our walking away from God will become a punishment and a scolding to us. When you forsake the Lord, your God. Because when you forsake the Lord, your God, you have forsaken the lordship aspect of your God meaning him, master, he said, this is what I I desire. And you're like, good luck. So let me get this straight. That's the case. Then we want the perks of God without the chastisement of God. We want the privileges that stem from God without the obligations that are deserving to God. We want the pleasures of the world, and we want God simply to turn his head. But this is what the text says in Judges. Gideon says, I'll tell you what's wrong with him. He has forsaken us. But our text says the angel of the Lord, which was a theophany, which was God manifest in some fashion. The angel says, Gideon, the Lord is with you. Gideon says, on the other hand, God's abandoned us. Same person. Same circumstance, but two viewpoints. Gideon thought God had abandoned them, but the angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you. Because Gideon had been duped into thinking that when a person or a nation forsakes God, God totally writes them off and forsakes them. But may I remind you even the New Testament scripture that the Bible says that Christ died for sinners. He died for the ungodly. He died for those that abandoned. He died for those that ridiculed. He died for those that said, I don't care. He so what's wrong with your God? Has he forsaken you or is God with you? Or are you so blinded about where you are and what's not going your way and the punishment of your backsliding coming upon you that you can't still see? God is patiently there in the corner. Someone say amen. Yes, the Bible tells us emphatically that God turned Israel over into the hands of the Midianites. But listen to me. If that is the case, then that's not an absentee God. That's just a Lord endeavoring to teach us a lesson. That's just a God who's treating us like a son and a daughter and he the father. That's trying to chastise those he's loved. You would never feel the hand of correction with an absentee father. Absentee fathers can't discipline their children by proxy. They got to be there in order to do it. So you're not dealing with an absentee God, a God that's forsaken and abandoned you. If you feel the head of correction, your father is still there. See. God, oftentimes, he's depicted as our husband. At other times, he's depicted as our father. Sometimes in our cycle, we do this. We want a husband that doesn't mind if we cheat on him. And we want a father that doesn't mind if after he cares for us and nurtures us, we disown him. I say tonight this. We've abandoned God. (coughs) The prophet told Israel, (coughs) Judges 6 and 10, I read it in our text. Look what the Lord said through the prophet. He said, fear not, which isn't talking about your emotion. It's talking about reverence. Reverence not. Let's state it in even more general terms. Worship not. Fear not, revere not, worship not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. God said in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, 11, NIV, He said they exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. He said in Jeremiah 5 and 7, NIV, God said, your children have forsaken me. Look at this. I supplied all their needs, yet they committed adultery. Tell me what's wrong with your God. He said, I supplied all their needs, but they weren't faithful to me. Tell me what's wrong with your God. Tell me, tell me how bad of a God you got. Tell me how much He lords stuff over you. Tell me about how bad of a God that you got. That you would exchange the glorious for the mediocre. But I believe the true answer to what's wrong with God. Illustrated in what happens next in Gideon's story. Judges 6, verse number 17. The Bible says, and he, speaking of Gideon, said unto him, This is the angel of the Lord, the theophany, God that's manifested here to him. Gideon said unto him, If now, please watch the wording of these verses very carefully. If now I have found grace in thy sight, then shew me a sign that thou talkest with me. 18. Look at this. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before you or thee. And he, God said... I will tarry until thou come again. Watch it here. He is in the presence of this angelic manifestation of God. More plainly, Gideon has the very presence of God in his midst. But he's choosing at this moment, I'm going to go away. Because I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a present for you. He has his presence, but he says, wait here. I'm going to go prepare a present, a gift, an offering. I'm going to go prepare for you. He's leaving God's presence to go prepare an offering because he wasn't prepared for God to show up stay with me. He's going to go leave God's presence to prepare something for him and Gideon wants to know this. He says God if I have, I I want to know if I found grace in your eyes and if I have found grace in your eyes then show me a sign that we have talked here show me a sign now most people theologians and people that are scholars and stuff like that most would probably tell you that the sign that God gave Gideon was in verse 21 whenever he caused the fire to come out of the rock and consume the flesh and the unleavened loaves and the broth that Gideon had prepared for him that's probably what most scholarly people are going to tell you but I'm going to tell you this tonight under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I'll tell you that the sign of God's grace for Gideon was shown when Gideon left to prepare the offering, he went to prepare the kid. And the unleavened bread and the broth. And I don't know how long it took, but it evidently took some time to prepare a goat and unleavened cakes and broth. He was gone for a period of time. God's grace was shown to Gideon when Gideon left to do all that. And no matter how long it took, amen, that's how long he was away from the presence of God. Listen, and Gideon's kind of telling God, don't leave depart. I'll come to you God. The ultimate sign of God's grace wasn't in the fire coming out of the rock and taking the unleavened cakes and all that stuff. That wasn't the great sign. The biggest sign of God's grace is in what God's reply to him when he said I'm going to leave but I'll come back to you. God says I'll be here waiting for you when you get back. It's when he said I'll wait. I'll tarry. Who left? Gideon left. Who walked away? Gideon walked away. How can an angel ever say that the Lord is with you? Because he's never left his post since you left. He's just yearning for you to come back. No 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 God's grace isn't seen in the fire, I'm telling you. It's not in the meager sacrifice that he consumed that Gideon had prepared. His grace is best seen as he tarries on us while we get ourselves ready. It's while he tarries on us and we're playing our games and we're committing adultery on him spiritually and we're going here and going there turning our back to God and not our face and we're over here doing our and we're talking bad about God and we're talking how God didn't do this for us or that for us and all the time he's tapping his foot at the same locality in the same position and he's saying I'm just waiting for him to get back. I'm just waiting. You tell me what's wrong with your God. What's wrong with him? My God is best known for all the times that he's tarried on us. And not departed from us. Even though during those moments we've all times blamed him for having abandoned us. We're the Gideons that want to walk away from God and then make it as though it was God who has walked away when he's in the same position he's always been. Tell me what's wrong with your God. What's wrong with your God? What's the finger you want to lay on him? What's the fault you want to cast at him? What's wrong with your God? Stand with me. I'll hasten to close very quickly. We'll wrap this up. I'll tell you what's wrong with God. And this is purely by human standards. You hear me? I'll tell you what's wrong with God. This is purely by human standards. Because what I'm about ready to tell you, anybody else that would act or perform like this in humanity, we would definitely say there's something wrong with them. So let me tell you what's wrong with God. His grace abounds much more than our sin. Tell you what's wrong with our God. He remains right where we left Him. I'll tell you what's wrong with our God. He's faithful to us to a fault. I'll tell you what's wrong with our God. He'll stay with us even when we don't acknowledge Him. I'll tell you what's wrong with our God. He'll turn an adversary to oppress us rather than obliterate us. To oppress us rather than just to smudge us off the map. I'll tell you what's wrong. He saved us from our troubles. He saved us from our sin. He's been both, Brother Malone, a savior and a lord or master to us. He has supplied all of our needs as Jeremiah has recounted and he's tarried until we've come back. So the question that I leave you with is the question that Jeremiah did. So tell me, why have we strayed so far from God what's wrong with your God he's on trial in the new generation he's on trial in the new generation all generations before put him on trial and people wag their heads and say i can't find a fault they can come up with a lot of inventions but none of them are founded A lot of them are projections of their own failings. What's wrong with your God? What's wrong with Him? If you start to recount your life from here backward, and you look at the very things that God has done, and you begin to, as the old hymnal used to say, count your blessings and name them one on one. Whenever you get it all said and done, ask yourself the question, what's wrong? You're going to find what's wrong with him, that he's been more kind to you than probably what any other man would have been kind to you, that he gave you the circuit, third, fourth, fifth, the other chance, other chance, other chance, that he's turned his head sometimes whenever you've acted the most immature. Everything that you want to say, in my estimation, that's wrong with God is what's what's right with him So what's right with him so Gideon yeah some things have befell you yeah God turned you over into the hands of your adversary but that was just that was just the cause and effect of turning away from God punishment's coming because you backslid from God that's what that's all about but even through all of that no, well Gideon The Lord has been with you. The Lord. I wish we could close our eyes across this place tonight. And if we could look genuinely and introspectively within ourselves. And you've given complaint. You've given complaint. Maybe not directly, but indirectly it hits. you given complaint about your God. Please tell me with a reasonable answer tonight. What's wrong with Him? Tell me, please, tell me what's wrong with Him? What's wrong with your God? What's, What's wrong with Him? These altars are open tonight. These altars are open tonight. Tell me what the fault is you want to lay charge against your God. Tell me about the list of accusations. Tell me about the list of insufficiencies. Tell me about the list of incongruences. Tell me about the list of how he wasn't fair. Tell me about him. Tell me what's wrong with your God. I'm urging somebody that if you've turned your back to him, turn around and turn your face to him. I'm urging somebody don't go far and don't stray from him (laughs) don't go prepare your little present your meager little sacrifice you know what I'd do if I was in his presence I would just stay there if I I was in his presence I think I would just stay there yet all the while there is the soft gentle voice of heaven that's telling us go do whatever you're doing if you ever decide to come back I'm right here waiting on you. I'll carry until you come. The only thing that I plead with you tonight is this don't wait to come too late. Come while the opportunity is there to. Come while the availability is there to come. We are, not prof- we are not promised from this day forward eternity. Our life is just, a, it, is, it is a breath. It is just a vapor. It's momentary. There will be a day that the Lord will come back for his church. There's only a period of time that he can tarry for. So please come. Please come in that window of time while he tarries and waits. Because God's not forsaken you. The Lord is with you. Tell me. What's wrong with your God? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.